I was going to catch a heel on it and fall down and hurt themselves. And she saw that. She said something to her boss. I believe she works for South Shore Property Management was the name of the company. And her boss said, well, we'll just send somebody out there to fix it. And they did. And so we are so grateful. Um, Since we didn't have tile that would match, we found some tile that contrasted really well. It's not finished completely. They have to come back and and grout it. But um, thank you so much to those fine folks who took care of that for us and just said, this is on us. So what a blessing that was to us and had somebody come out and do it, professional job, instead of like I did the last time, very non-professional job. Mine lasted for a year. Amen. Thank you to everyone who does so much here at High Point Church, from ushers to worship team, sound room, media people. Um, We could not do what we do without you. Um, And I am so grateful as a pastor. Uh, Pastor Greg is such a huge help uh, to me, uh, those who help with Bible study. It's, it's just so wonderful to see things happening, and it's exciting, and you can feel the excitement in the air when you walk in the door, and that is what will cause a church to grow. When people walk in the door and they feel excitement, they feel love, they feel welcome, and everyone here, you do a good job. You do a great job at that. So I want to say thank you this morning to everyone who does so much. Our Meals on Wheels team that feeds so many people every week, so faithful. I, I, am, just, I am just overwhelmed sometimes at what, what we do as a church. Um, we cannot do it without your support. If you currently support High Point Church, I want to say thank you from my heart. If you do not, I would ask, would you consider supporting High Point Church Ministries? We do an awful lot reaching outside of these four walls And there are several ways that you can give. You can go to our website, www.hpcbrandon.org, hpcbrandon.org. There's a toolbar across the top. It says online giving. Click on that. It will take you to a very secure site called Easy Tithe, and it will walk you right through it. You can designate where you want the funds to go to any particular fund in the church. Um, Just designate it where you want it to go, and it will go there. And there are also other ways to to give. You can drop it in the offering box in the back, affectionately known as our offering thingy. Um, There's envelopes back there. You can put your tithe and offering in there, drop it in the box. Somebody will get it there. You can also mail it to P.O. Box 1169, P.O. Box 1169, Brandon, Florida, 33509. Or you can drop it off here at the church in person on Tuesday mornings between 9 and 11 a.m. when our Meals on Wheels team is here, and they will make sure that it gets to the right place. At this time, we'll dismiss our Sunday school classes and our Sunday school teachers. Also want to say thank you to our our Sunday school teachers. We have a great group of teachers, and they are doing a fantastic job.
You know, I, um, when we dismiss for Sunday school, it feels like the place kind of empties out. And I want to say I'm glad because I remember when we didn't have kids, we didn't have children, didn't have teens. And if we would have dismissed, it would have just stayed exactly like it was. So this is a good thing. Not that they're gone, but that there are folks here and we're, we're expanding in, in our growth here at High Point Church. I also, Ruthie mentioned about Easter. Invite somebody to come out Easter Sunday. We've got several weeks, but invite somebody to come out and, and join you for Easter. As she said, and jokingly, somewhat jokingly, there are some folks who go to, to church two times a year, Christmas and Easter. So this is one of the big two. Um, you can probably get them to come with you on Easter. And we would love to have this place just a whole lot more folks than we normally see. Some people here for the first time. One thing for sure is my dad used to say, we'll treat you so many ways you'll have to like a few of them. So invite somebody to come out with you. On September 30th, 2015, Ruthie and I walked into our house around 9 p.m. I think it was a Wednesday night after church. And not to just find water standing, but flowing through our house and out of our house. Almost every square inch of our house had water standing or running through it. And in some places, there were at least three inches of water. And I would tell you that had the water not made a hole about this big in a sheetrock wall between the inside of the house and the garage so that it could run into the garage and then out down the driveway, I have no idea how much water would have accumulated in that house. I shut the water off, made a couple phone calls, and with the help of some friends, we started vacuuming and sweeping water out of the house while Ruthie called the insurance company. The insurance company sent some professionals out around midnight who set up fans and dehumidifiers throughout the house. And by the time they were done, it was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So we decided to spend the rest of the night in the house with all the noise from those huge fans and dehumidifiers running. The next day, October 1st, we decided that that wasn't going to work. I think there were 13 big fans. And when I say big fans, I mean like this size fans and dehumidifiers that were this big and they had water hoses running all through the house and into the sinks to drain the water out. And we said, we're not going to stay here with all that going on. The noise was unbelievable. Furniture was moved all over the place. And even though there wasn't any water standing in the floor anymore, the water that was already in the sheetrock continued to wick up the sheetrock. And by the next day, it was about 12 to 18 inches up the wall. The house was a disaster. So we checked into a hotel. We figured that we would be out of the house for maybe a couple of weeks, and then things would get back to normal. It didn't work out that way. There was one thing right after another that didn't work out. The restoration company emptied the entire house and put all of our stuff in storage. We stayed in the hotel waiting for all the work to be completed. Now, that was September 30th, 2015. 
We finally moved back into our house late February of 2016, almost five months later. Once we were back in the house, walls were replaced, furniture was replaced, stuff was back in. I sat down and I, I found an old country song by John Denver. And it was the song, Hey, it's good to be back home again. And I sat and I played that song over and over and over. And as I sat on the couch, a simple phrase ran through my head, a phrase that I've heard for most of my life, but never really understood until then. And it was this, there's no place like home. And that is the title of this sermon today, There's No Place Like Home. In the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told three parables, but I want us to look at one in particular that's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. Let's read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 13. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So this man had two grown sons, and for some reason, Jesus didn't give a reason specifically, but for some reason, the youngest son went to his dad and said, I want you to give me my share of the inheritance that I have coming. And the way that it worked in that day was the older son received two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would receive one-third. And while it was within his rights to ask, we will see it probably wasn't the wisest choice that he could have made. In spite of this son's poor choice, in spite of probably breaking his heart, we read that the father gave his youngest son the inheritance he was entitled to and this young man left home. It's very likely that this young man was thinking, now I can go out and have some fun. Before we go on, I want to, to keep in mind, want us to keep in mind that Jesus' parable and what we're talking about here is an adult son. This is not a 10-year-old. This is a grown man. As a parent, there might be times when you face a similar, similar situation. Similar. I think they say that in Indiana. You raise your children to the best of your ability, but regardless how hard you have tried, sometimes there is a child who is determined to step out and do it their way. Sometimes the harder you try to convince them of the error of your ways, the more determined they are to do it their way. And at some point, even though it may be tearing your heart out, you let them go, praying that God will help them to see the error of their ways. There are also times when children of God, people who know right from wrong, people who have been forgiven, redeemed, filled with the Holy Spirit, make decisions to take their life down a path that goes against what they know in their heart to be right. Maybe it's out of rebellion. Maybe it's because they've allowed the things of the world to creep into their life to a point where they really aren't where they should be in their walk with Christ. Or maybe it's the attitude 
of I've done that for far too long, and now I'm going to go out and really enjoy life, that being living for God. Regardless of the reason, far too many times the story takes some dangerous turns, and at times, in fact, most times it doesn't end well. Luke chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So we see that what this young man did was what a lot of young people in his position might have done. He took off. He went as far away from home as he possibly could get, thinking that this is the answer to all my problems. Get away from dad. Get away from the rules. Get away from everything. I'll have lots of money. I'll get lots of friends. It didn't work out quite that way. One thing I want us to also take notice of, I believe that he had departed from home a long time before he actually, in his heart, a long time before he actually, actually left physically. And I say that because I don't believe anyone ever wakes up in their walk with God and says, you know what, I think I'll stop living for God today. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Today I'm just going to run as far away as I can get from God. I don't think that happens. Be assured that by a time, the time a person physically walks away from the living for God, they had already made that decision in their heart quite a long time before. As you might expect, this young man blew through all his money pretty quickly. And then while he is busy wasting his money, a severe famine hits the entire country. And about that same time, something else hit. Reality. Verse 14 says that he began to be in need. He was broke. And as usually is the case, when the money was gone, all of his friends were gone. And that hasn't changed much over the past couple thousand years, has it? So this young man finds himself broke and hungry, a long way from home, and based on his actions, it's, see, it's easy to see that he is not just monetarily broke. It seems that he was broken emotionally as well. He has gotten to such a low place in life that he felt he had no choice but to sell himself into servitude to a stranger in this foreign land where he was living. And it gets worse if you can believe that. The job that he was assigned to do was to feed this person's pigs. Keep in mind, this was a Jewish young man. Pigs were unclean. They didn't have anything to do with pigs. And yet now his job is to feed pigs. And it gets worse. Things were so bad that it says that he would have been content to eat what the pigs were eating. But verse 16 says that no one gave him anything. The pigs were eating better than he was. And that's quite a fall from being a valued son to being a starving servant. And this is a picture of what sin does in a person's life. The devil will tell you, you don't need to stick around church. You don't need to live for God. Think of all the things that you can do out there. 
The devil paints a great picture. Sin promises freedom, but it only brings about slavery. There's an old saying that says this, sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go, and leaves you worse off than you were before. So as this young man, this young Jewish man, sits among pigs, he begins to think about how things used to be back home. Let's read verses 17 through 19. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Sometimes we have to hit the very bottom, sitting in a filthy, stinking pig pen, before we too come to our senses. Maybe not a literal pig pen, but to a place in life where we just can't get any lower. And sadly, sometimes even then, some folks don't wake up as to what's really happening. Or their pride will cause them to die in the pig pen rather than come home. But this young man started thinking about being back home, and at some point he realized that even the people, even the servants that worked for his dad back home had food to spare. Not just enough, they had food to spare. He was starving. Maybe he was sincere, or maybe it was hunger and desperation talking, but he came up with a plan. He said, I'll go back to my father and I'll say, Dad, I've sinned against you. Please, I don't deserve to be your son. So let me just be one of your hired men. Let me just be a servant. He was to a place in life where he had nothing left. He had nothing to offer. And the only thing that he could hope for at this point was mercy and grace. As he sat there financially broke, mentally, physically, and emotionally broken, I believe at this point this young man realized that there is no place like home. Since he had nothing to lose, we read that in verse 20 that he got up and he went to his father. The parable doesn't say what his dad was doing during this time, but speaking as a dad, if it were me, I would say that this man had to be broken. His heart had to be hurting. As a dad, I, I would guess that he probably looked for his son to come back every day. Look at the second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The scripture says that his father saw him a long ways off. I believe that means that his father was looking for him. I believe that every day this dad went out to the mailbox, maybe a couple times a day, saying he was checking the mail. But what he was really was doing was looking down the road to see if maybe today is the day that his son comes back home. 
And then he'd realize, no, that's not him. But even though that wasn't him, it didn't stop him from going out the next day and the next day and the next until one day he looked down the road and he said to himself, you know what, that looks like my boy. And then as this person gets closer, the dad squints and he looks a little bit harder and his heart starts to beat a little bit faster. And then as that person gets closer, he realizes, that's my son. And he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Let's read verses 21 through 24. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Even though his son says, Dad, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I've sinned against you. I took, I hurt you. The father just ignored him. Just, and he turns to the servants. He says, bring the best robe. Get him some shoes. Let's have a party. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. My son is home. Let's celebrate. Before we move on with this incredible parable, let me, let me say this. If you are a parent who has a child or children who once knew the Lord and have strayed away, don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep believing that those things that you instilled in their heart as a child, those things have not been forgotten. Keep living a life that will serve as an example to them. Keep, keep living a life that will serve as a beacon to them so that they'll know where home is. Be faithful to your walk with the Lord. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to your calling. Give them some place to come home to. Keep looking down the road. Every time you walk out to the mailbox, believing that if it's not today, then it will be tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then the next day. But keep praying and believing that you will see them come back to that place with God where they need to be or to where they used to be. Maybe this will encourage you to never give up. I had an uncle, one of my mother's brothers who lived a rough life. He was an alcoholic. He had lots of other problems. But my grandmother, Mom Dehart, never gave up. I can still remember her requesting prayer in church. And it was the same prayer request year after year. Please pray for Clifford. Year after year after year. Please pray for Clifford. She prayed and believed that someday her son would come back to the Lord. At 81 years old, my uncle Cliff gave his life to the Lord. And he lived the rest of his life as a child of God.
Moms, dads, don't give up. Don't give up. There's one final and tragic character in this parable that I want us to look at, and that's the oldest son. Let's read verses 25 through 31. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. So while this reunion, this party is, is taking place, the older brother who didn't leave, who was faithful, stayed home with his father, who was out working in the field, comes in at the end of the day, and he says, here's all the noise and the ruckus, and he says, what's all the commotion? What's going on? No one told me about a party. And the servant says, your younger brother has come home. And you would think that this brother would be overjoyed. That wasn't the case. Instead, he got angry and refused to go to the celebration. And his dad saw what was going on, and he went out to the older son, and he pleaded him to come in and join the celebration. But the older son was indignant. He said, look what I've done for you. I've been the good son. I've been faithfully slaving for you all of these years, and I never got a party. And then this, this son of yours, he didn't even call him his brother. He said, this son of yours, this son of yours goes out and spends all his money partying and on hookers, and he gets a party. I'm not celebrating with him. Hold on a minute before, and let me finish this next part completely before you get mad and walk out or throw a shoe at me, okay? As sad as this older brother's behavior was, I will tell you this is a pretty good picture of some folks who claim to be a part of the family of God. Maybe these Folks never left home physically. Maybe they're always around their heavenly father. They're faithful to church. But they too take him for granted and don't enjoy his fellowship. And even worse, many times they refuse to rejoice when someone else comes to know the Lord or comes back home. What they don't seem to understand is that because of their relationship and because of their promised inheritance, they could eat of the fatted calf anytime they wanted. But in spite of that, they refused to enjoy the blessings of the Father. 
Sometimes it's just because they're bitter. They're sulking, almost like they're jealous of the lives of those who are out there living in sin. They're sitting in church, but rather than worshiping the Lord and rather than praising God for the fact that he has kept them and he has has protected them and they are at, at home and they're in his presence of the Lord, rather than going through all of that and worshiping the Lord, they're looking at somebody out there and, yeah, look what they're doing. That's bad enough. Sometimes they're just self-righteous, like this brother. Look what I've done. Look at me, God. I didn't go out and waste my life. I've been faithful. And they forget that there are always consequences to sin. I'll remind you today that this younger brother in this parable, while he was forgiven and was accepted back home as a son, he still had consequences to deal with in his choices. In this case, it meant his inheritance was gone. He had already received everything that he was going to get. Yes, his father welcomed him back home, but he wasn't getting any more. And for us today, when we are forgiven, yes, the sin is gone, and we are children of the Most High God, but there are often consequences in life that we still might have to deal with. Don't get jealous of folks that are out living in the world thinking they're having all the fun and I'm just sitting here in church. I realize this is a drastic example. But let's say someone commits murder before they get saved. Or they quit living for the Lord and they go out and they they commit murder. Of course God will forgive them if they come back to him. And that sin is gone forever, never to be remembered against them again. But in spite of that, I'm pretty sure they're going to spend a little time in prison. There are consequences to sin. God will forgive. He will wash our sins away. But the laws of the land still stand. And that's what this older brother didn't seem to understand. All he was looking at was my younger brother took his inheritance, he went out, he got to have all this fun, and I slaved away here with my dad, not realizing that even though his brother was welcomed back to the family, it cost him something. With that in mind, if you have never been out in the world and experienced all the hurt and pain and destruction that goes along with it, be glad, celebrate, stay home in the presence of the Father because there is no place like home. Don't go out into the world looking for something that isn't there like this younger son did. And don't hold some type of self-righteous grudge against those who mistakenly did go out and do that. I have seen it time and time again, and I will assure you that as attractive as the things of the world might look, they will most assuredly cause pain, suffering, and scars that can last a lifetime. And I'm sure there's some folks here today that will testify to that. Love you, Rob. 
What a testimony. I had a friend of mine that was a, an evangelist and then a pastor. And he said at one, he lived, his dad was a pastor, grew up in church, and went straight from being in his church to out preaching and evangelizing than to pastoring a church, and that's all he ever did. And he said at one point, he would hear people tell this testimony of how maybe they, they lived for God and then they, they quit living for God and they went out and they joined the gang and they, they did all of these horrible things. And he actually was a little bit jealous because he didn't have a really cool story to tell. Until he said one day it hit him, I have the best story. I have a story that God can keep me, that God can protect me, and that if I will trust him and put everything I have and seek him first, that he will bless me and I don't have to experience the pain of what takes place out there. What a blessing it would have been if this older brother would have ran behind his father to greet this younger brother who was finally coming home. And what a difference it would make in our churches today if those who were already there would join their heavenly father in looking for those who aren't home yet and would rejoice with them when they do finally come home. If somebody leaves church and, and goes out and just starts living a horrible life, I'm not going to hold it against them if they decide to come back and, and repent and live for God. If God can forgive them, who do I think I am to not forgive them? Maybe you're here today or you're watching online. Maybe you're listening online to this sermon a year from now. And you've strayed away from that place where you once were in your walk with God. Maybe you've gone so far away that you feel like you cannot come home, that it's too late. Let me assure you that it's not too late. Our Heavenly Father is waiting for you. He is calling to you. Come on back home. You don't have to live like that anymore. Well, yeah, Pastor, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I assure you that he does. And in spite of that, he still loves you. And his grace is more than sufficient to cover your sin. And again, there's folks here that can testify that to that today. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Maybe you feel like you've hit bottom. You feel like your life is hopeless, that there is no future. Be assured that there is hope because God is waiting for you. In fact, he never gave up on you. He will welcome you back with open arms. 
Just as the prodigal son had reached a place in his life where he had nothing left to offer, the only thing that he could do at that point and the only thing he could hope for was to hope for mercy and for grace. And just like that, we too have nothing left to offer on our own. But there is mercy and there is grace. The Bible says that our righteousness, the the best that we can muster up, the best that we can come up with on our own, is like filthy rags. But in spite of that, there is still mercy and there is still grace from a loving Father. Luke 15.10 says, There is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God when one sinner repents. The angels rejoice when one sinner repents. When we see someone walk through the doors of High Point Church, I don't care where they've been, I don't care what they've done, I don't care if they've been to this church 35 times and left 35, four. If they're back for the 35th time, they're welcome here. And when they come to this altar, if they choose to come to an altar and repent, I'm going to rejoice. Because if the angels rejoice, once again, who do I think I am that I wouldn't rejoice with them? We know how the story ended for the younger brother. It was a difficult journey, but he finally made it home to a father whose love never wavered. I think it's an interesting note that the end of this parable, the part about the older brother, is left open. We are left to wonder if the older brother ever came to the feast. Did he ever reconcile with his younger brother? And I I have to believe that Jesus left this parable open so that the listeners could write the end themselves. Today, let me tell you that you get to write the final paragraph of your story as well. How it ends will be determined by what you do with the call of the Lord on your heart. Have you found yourself down in the pig pen of life this morning? If that's you, why not say bye to the pigs? And come back home to the Father. He will receive you with open arms. He will receive you with grace and mercy. He will erase your past and restore you to a place of blessing and rejoicing. Maybe you're here today and you find that your life is more like that of the older brother. Yeah, you're in the father's house, but you aren't really having a very good time. If that's you, maybe it's time to come down to the feast. Maybe it's time for you to let go of some bitterness you've been holding tightly to and come to the father 
and renew your vows before him. If you are in a far country, you need to come home. If you are out in the Father's field, but lack the kind of love that you need for the Father, you need to come home too. The door is open. The table is spread and the Father is waiting for all who will come. And I will close with this. Regardless of where you are today, be assured that there is no place like home. I am not going to stand here today and try to judge where anyone is in their walk with God. And if everybody in this building came to this altar and fell on their face, I'm not going to make any assumptions that they're not where they're supposed to be. But I think it would be safe to say that regardless where we are, we could get closer. Regardless of how our walk with God is progressing, we could do better. If we've drifted away, if we've let things come between us and God, it's time to get rid of those things and come back home. If things in the world have caught our attention and they have become more important than living for God, it's time to get up out of the pig pen and go home. Because there is nothing out there when you're away from God that will end well. That young man at some point had a choice in life. And this is what his choices were. He was sitting in a pigsty, literally starving to death. And he could have stayed right there and died. And there are people who have walked away from the Lord because of their pride, maybe because of hurt, because of circumstances when they left church, mostly because of what the devil tells them. Oh, you can't go back there. Those people know what you did. They know the life you've been living. Let me say this today. I don't care. And more importantly, God doesn't care. Because there is nothing that you would have done while you were out there that would stop him from looking for you. And when you start down that road, there is nothing that would stop the Lord from welcoming you with open arms. And all it takes 
is for us to do what this young man did. Basically, what he did, he repented. Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve anything. Just let me come back home. And that's what repentance is. When we realize that we're all sinners, we were born sinners and we didn't get any better on our own. But at any point, we can make the choice to say, I know that Jesus died for my sins on a cross. I know that his blood will forgive my sins. And we can make a choice to come back home. And we can say, I've sinned. I'm not worthy. And that's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It means we didn't deserve it. But he gives it to us anyway. Would you come back home? If you're watching online, fall on your face before God today. Call out to him. Repent. Come back home. Parents, if you have children that have strayed away, don't give up. If you have a spouse, other family members that have strayed away, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep believing. The Bible says that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's what God wants for you. He's not the type of God that says, hey, you made your bed, you sleep in it. You created this mess, deal with it. He is a loving Father, full of grace, full of mercy. Would you stand this morning? end of a sermon like this, it's sometimes difficult to find the right words to say for an altar call. Because many times there's someone standing in the building who's saying, he's right. I'm not where I need to be. Well, there ain't no way I'm walking down front there because everybody's going to know I'm not where I need to be. Remember that young man could have stayed in that pig pen and died, starved to death in a filthy, nasty pig pen. He had a choice. I will tell you this. If you will make that step today, 
It doesn't mean you've backslidden. It doesn't mean you've walked away from the Lord. It just means that you're saying, I want to be closer than where I am right now. It's not an indictment against you to walk up to the front of this church. In fact, it shows that your heart is probably in the right place, that you're desiring more, and that you want to make sure without a doubt that your life is exactly where it needs to be and that there would be nothing that would come between you and God. There will be no judgment from anyone this morning. especially from God. Instead, there will be mercy, there will be grace, and there will be rejoicing. Rejoicing. There will be celebrating. If you are here today and you would like to make that step and say, God, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been before, Would you come today as we sing? Amazing grace How sweet